Michelle Donnelly, and this is the Christian Single Moms Podcast. I believe that every single mom can discover a life of peace, power, and purpose, and that you can do it right through the things that God is carrying you through in your season as a single mom. Here we talk about all of the things that matter to a single mom, but most of all, I hope you found a place where you feel like you belong. Let's get started. I'm so glad that you could be with me today. I'm your host, Michelle Donnelly. When it comes to healing from brokenness, one of the things that is so overwhelming is the ever presence of our feelings and maybe not knowing always what to do with them or what they're trying to point out to us. I'm joined in this conversation by Jessica Hoddle, and Jessica is here to help us to understand what our feelings are trying to do for us and how we can practically start to work through them so that we can not only experience emotional healing in the present, but step into spiritual transformation for the future. Something I've learned in my season as a single mom is that loneliness actually does not have that much to do with being alone. Hurt from our relationships in the past causes us stress around relationships in the present. And the ways that we have learned to deal with that stress can help us to feel safe, but actually keep us away from the meaningful relationships that we desire. To start to unravel this, to identify your stress style and discover the pathway to healing, you can take our quiz called What's Your Stress Style? And you'll find a link for that down in the show notes. I know that many of us have grown up with either a teaching or an idea that our emotions are somehow bad and that having them makes us less spiritual in some way. But what I think is so wonderful about Jessica's approach here is the fact that a lot of healing can begin when we recognize that God created those feelings and that we can experience Him through them and through the healing that He would bring. Here is my conversation with Jessica Hoddle. Jessica, I'm so glad to have you with me. Welcome to the podcast. Thank you so much for having me. I am honored to be here. Jessica, our emotions sometimes, I know for me anyway, feel like sometimes they are running the show. It feels to me sometimes that they're constantly popping up and sometimes at really inopportune moments and that the process of trying to manage them can be so overwhelming. I wanted to know if you would help us to get some arms around this by helping us to firstly understand what is the function of our feelings and what really do they try to point to us? Yeah. I think sometimes we get overwhelmed by our feelings because we feel like we shouldn't have them. Mm. And so what we're doing is everything that comes, we're just trying to shove it away because we've been told they're not true or they're not good and we need to ignore them and they're not the guide. And all of those, well, some of those are true. You know, our feelings are not supposed to be the guide in our life. But what happens is we hear something like that and we go, well, I shouldn't be angry. I shouldn't be sad. But to deny the experience is also to deny the feeling. And so if you deny the feeling, then you're also denying the experience that you went through. Mm-hmm. And so I think that's why we get overwhelmed is because there is this time that we have that they begin to pile on 
and we think that we're ignoring them, but they're just getting buried alive Mm. and they're showing up in other ways. And so I wrote a whole chapter in my book, Face Off With Your Feelings, about understanding feelings and emotions. And so, you know, our emotions tell our bodies what to feel. So your emotion actually comes first. And typically you're not even aware of it, meaning it might be a response. You might say something quickly out of anger. So then afterwards you're like, why did I even say that? I didn't mean it. So there's this response, this emotional response that you feel in your body. And then it comes out into the feeling expressed. So you feel it in your body first, meaning you might feel that heart racing, palms start to sweat. Um, Maybe you want to shut down. Your shoulders start to hunch over. Your head goes down. So your body responds and then you begin to feel it. And so for me, understanding the difference, because they're often interchanged, is understanding that we feel a lot longer than we experience the emotion. The emotion chemically in our body lasts about six seconds, I believe. Mm. But then after that, we're choosing to continue to feel that way. Mm. I love that you just pointed that out because I think that is so sometimes also what's so overwhelming about this is like this event has passed or this thing that came up is done. Why am I still carrying this around? And that's the part that is so frustrating because it just feels like it has the power over us in a situation where we're like, I just want to move through with the rest of my life, but it's calling us to attend to something. Would you speak into that a little bit? Mm -hmm. Yeah, I was the girl that really had the emotional roller coaster because a lot of my past was based on emotional and physical abuse. And so I saw the physical side and I saw the emotional, which is the manipulation, the mm-hmm. not feeling good enough. And when you're a child and even teenage years, you don't look to your caregivers as people that are bad, because if you do, then you'll feel alone and isolated and and abandoned. So you look to yourself as though you're the one that's doing wrong, Mm -hmm. right? Because you just don't want to believe that these people that are taking care of you are not good. And then you leave the nest and you go on your own and you realize, wow, okay, things weren't right. Mm -hmm. And so for me, I really had to begin to understand that my feelings were meant to be felt, but not to be the lead. So I always like to say that they have a, they have a seat at the table, but they're not the centerpiece. Yeah. Right. Like they're, they're welcome to the table, but they can't be the centerpiece. Um, so often my past, I was looking and living in the present from my past, meaning Mm. every situation, whether I was dating somebody, whether I was in this relationship or this man came around, whether an adult or not, I was living reactory. I wanted them to fill up my cup because I wanted them to love me. And I didn't know those things. And so when we have these feelings, when we feel like we can't let go of somebody or we feel like we have to continue to show up and feel good enough and be in this performance, it's telling us something. And so Mm -hmm. I always say it's an invitation to go to the Lord to heal. When we have these feelings that come up, that keep us in a loop, that keep us almost addicted to other people's approval, that keep us kind of, um, I like to say, chained down to something or someone. And that's letting us know that maybe we don't feel safe. 
maybe we don't feel loved. And so we're trying to cling to something, hoping that anything is better than nothing. Mm. And that's what we tend to do. So our feelings and our emotions are nothing more than just, Hey, something's not right. Mm -hmm. Let's address it. You're angry. What made you angry? Yes. This person said this, or this person did this, but that's also something, maybe there's something deeper. That's a root issue that you're trying to solve with just putting a bandaid on it or changing a behavior. Mm -hmm. I think that's powerful pointing to the fact that you are taking things from the past and pulling them into the future or the present rather. And I think what is interesting about that is as kids, we don't have a whole lot of agency. We can't speak up for ourselves. Right. And we don't even know what we don't know. So we don't always know that what we're experiencing is not Mm -hmm. God's design, right? And so, as you said, we may blame ourselves, but then we create this construction of ourselves and the world and how we're moving through it. And it's faulty. And so, then as we continue to move into the present, we're working off of this structure, this this story, really, this narrative that it doesn't fit. And so, we keep having these moments where things just are clashing and colliding, and it's bringing all those feelings up. But I think the thing that's incredible in this is realizing, but now you're in the present and you have agency. Now you have choice. Now you have the ability to look at the past and allow yourself to read it properly and say, no, actually I wasn't the problem. This thing or this person or this experience, like all of this was really where this is all coming from. But now in my present, and I love that you pointed to safety, I can make choices to rest in safety. God affords me safety through my relationship with him. And I can form my identity and my way of moving through the world by living through that. And now I have that choice. But there's a lot of things I think that have to happen sometimes that that pull that to the forefront because that's not always so obvious. It's just that feeling. It's just that, you know, and then... You know, if we're not adept at at understanding our feelings or feeling our feelings, even then knowing that we have the ability to even make that choice in the first place is it doesn't seem so available to us. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I think something that's important to what I used to always do is I was just waiting for safety. I was waiting Mm -hmm. for somebody to make it okay for me, Mm -hmm. whether it was emotional, whether it was feeling loved, whether it was again, safety and we search for people. And then again, it's like these people keep letting us down. Yeah, And then we get to a point where we get so hardened in the yeah. heart that we say we love God, but we don't let him love on us. And then we want to trust people, but we really don't because they're just going to let us down again. And so we have this very, I, I don't want to say pessimistic, but it's this narrative that we believe about God and people mm-hmm. because of past pain, even though this present person could be showing you every sign of safety, you wouldn't see it because all you're looking for and waiting for them is to leave and abandon. Mm. That's so important that you just said that too, because this is where we are, we're disconnected from God then at that sense, we're disconnected from people who are safe because we've learned a vigilance behavior, whether that is I can't trust anybody or nobody, I'm not lovable. So nobody really could see me. There's some version of those stories that's, that are in there. And, but that's, that's where the, the safety and the healing are found. And it takes a great deal though, of not just awareness, but courage 
to mm-hmm. dare to believe something that is different than what we've always believed yeah. and felt really because what we're thinking and the, the the lens that we have is tied to that emotional experience we have of moving through the world mm-hmm. to the extent where this is what's normal. We know we don't like it, but it's hard to dare to believe that there really could be anything else. Mm-hmm. I think one of the most impactful things in my own healing journey when it came to relationships, because in my first book, I read a lot about a year from hell and dating and just how terrible things were for me. Mm-hmm. And in my new book, Face Up With Your Feelings, I still include those pieces of my dating life and in my body and the things that I that I did. But I think that for me, it was to stop blaming you know, especially when I was single, I would just say things like, well, man, it's just, there's no good guys out there. There's no good guys out there. And, and I would just have these kind of narratives that I would repeat. And what would happen is I would just blame every guy. I would blame every situation on something and someone else. Mm -hmm. And I'm not saying that those people might not have made the great choices or had done me wrong, but the reality was this, is that despite their actions, I got to choose how I lived. And so am I living according to scripture? Am I living according to what I believe and what I say and what I want even in a relationship? Or mm-hmm. how am I, you know, partnering with God if I expect my relationship to be, you know, my husband to be partnering with God? It always yeah. comes back to us. And mm-hmm. what we learn through our friends, they're like, girl, you deserve better. Just let them let them go. And there might be truth to that, but what's happening is we're taking away all of our responsibility in any kind of relationship or situation. Mm-hmm. It's not always about the other person. We also have to look at us. And for me in my healing journey, that was huge. Like I didn't have to blame my caregivers and the people that raised me in my twenties anymore. I got to choose, okay, like I really wasn't shown how to cook and we grew up poor and I didn't really know what love was, but that didn't excuse my behavior. Now Hmm. that was an invitation to say, Oh, I didn't experience these things, but now I can. Hmm. And that was huge for me. Yeah. Let's talk about that. So that now I can, one of the quotes I loved from your book, you say who you believe God to be will impact who you think you are. Mm-hmm. And I thought this was this was just like, wow, whoa, yes, because our identities are so tied to our creator. We are the created. He is the creator. So to understand ourselves, we have to know him. And as we've talked about, though, all of this pain, all this stuff that we're carrying around with us creates this break in our relationship with God to the point then that we are struggling to really even know ourselves. But our emotional reactions are are part of this and are starting to reveal more about those holes in our identity. Would you talk more to how that break from God and healing that break from God can bring us into a a better fullness of understanding who we really are? Mm -hmm. Yeah, to know ourselves is to know God. And to know God is to know ourselves. And so we often are like, I just need to know myself. And I think that there is truth to that. We need to understand our behaviors and our boundaries and to look in and know our limits. 
But that doesn't excuse us as well because we have a new identity in Christ. And so it they go together to know ourselves is to know God and to know God is to know ourselves. And one of the questions that I had to ask, and I ask a lot of women that I work with, is who do you believe God is? Because a lot of women believe him to be this God that's kind of just out in the distance and giving them like giving them all of these bad situations and bad men because they believe that they deserve it. And so God doesn't want them to be married. God doesn't want them to have, you know, a healthy relationship. And so because they're thinking I made all of these mistakes. So your view of God, meaning you view God as just giving you all of these bad mistakes and these things because, well, he's writing your wrongs and he wants you to learn all these lessons. Mm -hmm. You will live according to how you believe God is treating you. But if you believe that God is kind, that he is loving, that he is gentle, that he is correcting, that he wants to see you good, that he doesn't want you to live in sin or to live in your mistakes, but that he's always leading you to good, even if it doesn't feel good, your behaviors, your reactions, your responses, they change because you're no longer viewing God as this God that's just like punishing you. But you're looking at this God of like, he's a father and he's kind and he wants to walk through this with me and disciple me and be with me and sanctify me. What is, I mean, two completely different identities. And so who we believe God is, is how we will live our life because we are the image of God. We are created in the image of God. We are not just a image. We are the image And that really changes us. So we have to really, truly know who God is, not based on our pain. I for sure can say I was one of those women, what you're describing. You know, I grew up in a tradition that was very sin focused and it was very much on the works of trying to, you know, make God pleased with you and uh, made God seem very punitive. And I could relate completely to what you just said as far as, well, God wants me to learn all these lessons. Like he's good, but I'm experiencing all these things because I need to learn these lessons. And it took me so, so, so long to even just stop thinking that like beyond, okay, then how do you replace it with something else, which we'll talk about in a second. But beyond that, it was like, how do I stop believing that he's this way, you know? Because that is what my identity is based on, my performing, my doing, my going, my achieving, everything that I know myself to be is based on this police officer, punitive version of God. So if I stop believing that, then I also now have to shift the reality of who I am and everything I've based my worth on. So now no longer is performance something that I should see as a good quality, I should see it as something that is holding me back from the life that God has for me, holding me back from the person that he's created me to be. And there's a, there's a dying that's in that there is, and, and it can be glorious. It can be somewhat like, whoo, I don't have to do that anymore. But the feelings, again, we go back to the feelings, the feelings are still there. Then when you've gotten used to people pleasing or, you know, whatever it is to, to get through things, to manage that emotion, now the emo- it's like fair game. The emotions are all you know flying at you, and you don't know who you are, and you don't know who God is. But but He 
is so kind. And I think I love that you just, that, that is the word right there, like in the midst of what becomes then this sort of chaotic breaking down moment, he is not going to allow that without allowing for you to then be raised up and built up so much stronger and so much more assured of who he is and who you are. He's not going to, he's not going to allow you to just like break apart and then not, you know, not restore to even better, Mm -hmm. but getting to that space of like, okay, well, how do I correct these thoughts then? Who is God really? You know, would you talk more about your experience with that? Mm -hmm. Yeah. I say those things because I write about them in my book as well, because I with their feelings about just dealing with, I, a lot of it was even sickness for me and believing, you know, that what I was experiencing was what he wanted me to experience because he was teaching me a lesson again. So I say that because I have lived through that. And something that has helped me though, is knowing that if there was nothing that I did to earn his love, to earn my salvation, then that means there's nothing I cannot do to, for him to take it away. And so it kind of takes this works performance out because I'm like, well, it doesn't matter what I do or don't do because we live under grace. But then again, it's, well, you don't just have the free freedom to sin. Mm -hmm. Um, We're free from sin, but not Mm -hmm. free to sin. And I think the works mentality comes from the pain that we've experienced on this earth, because we think that whether you've been abandoned or rejected or anything, you kind of feel like you have to keep working your way into love. And Mm -hmm. I think there's so many layers to this. It's redefining what love is. Maybe you've been, you know, shown that love is abuse and it's physical and it's manipulation and it's transactional. Um, And so that was me. Again, you know, if if somebody did something for me, it was, well, later on, they're going to take that out and they're going to say, well, I did this for you. So you need to do this for me. Mm -hmm. So I get all of that. Like I get it and I'm with you. But then there's this other side again that says, well, what is love and what does it look like? And so we will experience this in community and in the church, but there is no quick answer to this. There's no five-step this. There's steps that we can help to manage our emotions and be aware of them. But when we think about renewing our mind, it's it's present, meaning it's constantly happening. And for me, the change became this. And I want women to under really hear me with this is that healing and renewing your mind is not about the weekend getaway. It's not about the time even spent alone with the Lord it's not about the Sunday time that you went to church and you're renewing your mind to scripture. The healing and the renewing happens literally every day and every moment and every decision that you make. Mm-hmm. The more we can understand that and involve that into our everyday lives, the more we're going to see it. And so what does that look like practically? Practically, it looks like you're about to have a situation with your child, right? Or you're about to have a situation with the person you're dating or maybe, you know, um, a friend or whatever. Your response is going to dictate your healing. It's going to dictate the renewing process. Mm -hmm. Are you going to choose peace in this situation? Are you going to choose anger? Are you going to choose kindness? Are you going to choose wrath? Like, we get to choose. And so what we choose is showing us how we're renewing our mind. Mm -hmm. So what we choose is also showing us how we're healing. It doesn't mean that every time that you choose that anger happens instead of peace, it doesn't mean that you're not healing, 
But the awareness of it to me is what really began to transform and renew my mind is taking what is right, good, true, noble, pure, and applying that into my situation. How am I reacting to the situation? How am I treating this person? How am I speaking to this person? Because mm-hmm. that is renewing. I'm going to choose kindness for this person, even though they treated me this way. I'm going to be gentle with them right now, despite what they do to me. Now, of course, there's levels to this, there's boundaries and all kinds of things. But again, it's my choice on how to respond. And so I think just knowing it's every day, the renewing process is active, it's not passive. So you can't just read scripture and then act as though that's all that you have to do. Mm. So it's it's active. It's this, it's this intentional choice to choose. It's not just passive. So I don't know if that answers your question, yeah. but that's doing the things. work right there, right? That's doing the work. <laughs> and yeah, and again, it's like, well, we're not, to, we, we shouldn't be working. And so I was going to say too, is like works has its place. Faith mm-hmm. and works go together, right? Mm-hmm. But it's the works when it becomes an idol to receive love that it becomes that, I don't even want to say a sin, but that unhealthy. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's disordered at that point. It's not in its correct place. Yeah. There are three words every abuse survivor must hear. God hates abuse. Plus One Parents has released a devotional for abuse survivors called Safe Haven, a devotional for the abused and abandoned. Safe Haven is a biblically-based guide to abuse, giving you the tools that you need to identify it, respond to it, and heal from it. Safe Haven is now available in paperback, ebook, and audiobook formats, and you can locate a link to purchase your copy down in the show notes. Now, you talked about, though, our feelings, for example, they have a seat at the table, right? Yeah. So our feelings are a part of our relationship with God, a part of how we're moving through the world. It's part of how we are working through this. And I think what I just grabbed out of what you said is that doing the work and these choices that we have and how we choose to respond and all that kind of stuff, that's the experiential part. That's the part that is applied. That's the stuff that I am Mm -hmm. reading in the word and how I'm connecting the dots. As far as that portion though, where we are having the mind renewed through the word to put our feelings at the right spot at the table, can you talk a little bit about the that interplay there of of our thoughts beginning to be transformed firstly though by our time in the word mm-hmm. yeah something i like to ask i always challenge women i call it the 5 second face off challenge but really is when our emotions are there and you're ready to react is saying is this going to help is this going to hinder or is it going to hurt and that lets you know where you're at in your emotions right? It's these feelings. And so we want this clear answer of where they should be and where they are. They're at the table. What do we do with them? And I think for me, it depends on the situation. And it's so variable of, do I even need to say anything right now? Am I, am I called to just be quiet? Because we don't always have to talk. We don't always have to express our feelings in the moment. And so we, we can give ourselves time to process. We can give ourselves time. You know what? The most mature thing I can do right now is to not say anything. 
And then there's times where our feelings come to the table and you feel upset and you feel sad that this person had said this to you. And you can say, Hey, what you said to me hurt my feelings and here's why. And so again, it's what situation are we in and what is the most kind way to respond? If you just think of it that way, is this going to help? Is this going to hurt? Or is this going to hinder? And that helps give your feelings a gauge of where you are. Are they the centerpiece? Are they just on the table? Because you can have feelings about something, but still speak something different, right? Mm -hmm. That person Mm -hmm. made you angry, but you don't have to respond in anger. Mm -hmm. Yeah. One of the things that I found so helpful for me is I do have my feelings are at the forefront. Like I feel them all the time. They're always there. They're, they're, they're constantly with me for better or for worse. Right. And that being quiet allowed me the opportunity to absorb all of the information first, then ask that question, then decide maybe I have to put, maybe the boundary right here is, you know what? I, I can't respond to this right now. I'll come back to you, you know? Yeah. And, and that, that gave me a lot more, I felt more balance in being able to have the feelings and know that they're, they're pointing something out to me, but not letting them run the show to the point that I'm saying all kinds of things. And now I'm having to double back and go, Oh, oh, well, I, you know, didn't really mean that. Or, you know, in the case where I did, you know, something that like abandoned myself and did some people pleasing, it was like, actually what I really wanted to say was this, you know? And so just by reserving that, it just, it was so helpful because I'm not always in that first moment before I react, able to ask myself those questions. You know, Mm -hmm. I'm not able to always have such clarity of thought. And I think when we're triggered, that's a huge part of the experience is sometimes our brain is like shut. The logic part is shut down when we're having that triggered moment. And so just by knowing my default then can be to not respond. So all I have to do is manage the emotion, regulate the emotion, and then I can respond later once I'm back online. Mm -hmm. Then that is the place where I started to gain just some footing underneath me so that I felt more in the zone of that piece, you know? So as I was spending time with the Lord and I was growing in my relationship with him and I was learning all of his kindness and care for me and all these things through my time in the word that I w- that's how I was tangibly able to retain that peace just by giving myself the permission to pause and come back to it. Mm-hmm. One of the, one of the words I was like, I am going to add to my vocabulary so much more is I'm sorry. Now, maybe you've never even been demonstrated that word. I'm sorry. I know a lot of people and women that have been in relationships where they've never heard like their parents say sorry or anything like that. I can't even remember my parents really saying that to each other, but there's something about even when we respond in our emotion to be able to go back and say, I am so sorry that I did this to you, or I said this to you and truly mean it. You don't say like a sorry is like, I'm sorry. I made you feel that way. Like, that's not a sorry, Like, Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. you know, it's I'm sorry, or I'm sorry that you felt that way. That's not a sorry. (laughs) It's, it's, you know, I'm sorry that I said this and it's not true. And, you know, this is who you really are. This is what I meant. And, you know, do you, do you accept my apology? It's that to me is that's really bringing this closure for them and for you and creating this really healthy conflict and healthy relationship. But another thing is 
we can create safe places for other people. If you've never had a safe place for feelings, you can be a safe place for somebody else. And Mm -hmm. so for me, it's not trying to fix them, not trying to change them because we want to do that. At least I know I do. When people come to Mm -hmm. me, I'm like, how can I fix you? And how can I, how can I change you for the good? And I mean it with like sincerity intentions, right? (laughs) But it also doesn't help the other person to feel seen in the moment. Yeah, They just want their feelings to be heard and said. And so for me, um, I think that's important. And one other little practical thing that like my husband and I do for each other is we preface the conversation that we're about to go into with what we need. Meaning I just want you to listen. I don't want your feedback. I don't want your advice. I just need you to listen or, hey, this I'm going to need your advice on this. It's helped us not get mad at each other. Um, when we're talking because, you know, maybe he's venting or I'm venting. And at the end, I'm like, well, why don't you just do this? And he's like, I didn't want your advice, Uh, Yeah, (laughs) you know? And so it just helps us to be better communicators up front to say, Hey, I just need you to listen to me right now. I don't want you to fix anything. I don't need you to fix anything, but this can go into any relationship, you know, friendship, marriage, dating, especially, but being willing to just communicate what you need ask for what you need um, and things like that. I know it's kind of a little bit off topic, but just it's practical way to really help communicate your feelings in a way that you feel seen and heard. Yeah. And I actually think that that's really useful with our kids. I think that a lot of this stuff we're talking about as far as triggered emotions and, you know, popping off and all this kind of stuff, a lot of times it's playing out in our homes and just recognizing so often the need is just to be heard and understood Mm -hmm. that especially when it comes to correcting our kids, like we can connect with them first over their emotion and say, Hey, I see that you're really angry. You know, I need you to calm down for a minute before we're going to be able to talk about what's bothering you, but I want to hear it. You know? Mm -hmm. So if they're throwing a tantrum or, you know, whatever the case is that we have the ability to say, I see your emotion. I, I, I know that you want to be heard right now. And I am here for that, but we've got to get into a zone where you're respectful and safe And I will be that safe spot for you. Mm -hmm. And that's how we're able to model some of this then, you know, and that's what I've experienced in prayer with God though, is I can come to you and cry and complain to you. And Mm -hmm. I know that you see me now, you know? And so it's, it's being able to have though the honesty with our emotions and with God to have the ability to pass that on. Something I find interesting is that I've been thinking about lately is why do we stop with kids? You know, everything that you just explained, Hey, I see that you're angry right now. Let's get Mm. you to a place where you feel safe so that you can be heard. Why do we stop Mm. just because they're kids? Why don't we take that into teenager? Why aren't we taking that into our friendships and relationships? Why aren't we saying to the adults the same thing that the (laughs) children, because most of us have wounded childhood experiences. Yeah. Why are we not helping as adults, other women in to repair and men to repair? Yeah. I just think it's something that we can do that's so practical that we need as adults. I mean, I know if somebody came to me and was like, listen, I see that you're angry. I just want you to be heard. What is it that you need? Right. I mean, think about the change that we would have if we yeah. continued that into adulthood. 
Yeah. And, and I know the thing though, that's hardest for me, cause I don't want anybody to hear me say that and go, Oh wow. Michelle must've had just great knockout, you know, like <laughs> communication skills with her parents. Like she grew up that way. It's like, you know, a lot no. of it we learn because we want to be different. We yes. don't want to be like, yeah. yes, I have a, I have a wonderful relationship with my parents, but all that said, we all come with our stuff. Right. And yeah. so it is from work, <laughs> you know, yes. it is from a lot of, yep of listening to podcasts and reading books and spending time with the Lord, just like all the connection, you know, combination of all these different things. But that's where the suffering that we're experiencing in our emotions can draw us towards the things that are different, that can draw us into this. Well, how do I do this differently? If I do have choice now, I do have agency and where our, our feelings then can bring us into a space of healing, but then that there's there's a greater trajectory in this. And this is something you talk about in your book, but that this is the transformation that's occurring now that God is turning us into a different creation. We're a new creation as we are embracing more and more who he really is, who we really are and where he's taking us to. Would you talk more about how, you know, we can see now where working through our emotions is just one piece of this greater spiritual transformation that we're going through. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Something I talk about in the book is without spiritual transformation, we only have behavior modification, meaning we're just adapting to who we're around and we're trying to you know, do what they've asked us to do, or, you know, maybe we're just trying to check things off of our to-do list and we're getting all the cute planners and we're getting, you know, the, the chart set up and we're trying to fix our outer world or we're trying to fix our inner world through our outer world. Mm. And meaning if I could change my body, I would feel more confident. If I could get in a relationship, then I would feel like I'm loved. And, you know, all of these things that if we could just externally have something, then we would be internally free or confident or full. Mm-hmm. And it's such a lie from the enemy. It's so deceiving because it sounds so good. If I just had this problem solved, then I would be great. And the reality is that if you've never actually addressed the loving part, the loneliness part, the wanting other people to do things or the busy part of the hustle part of your, of your heart, it ain't going to matter what you do because you haven't spiritually transformed on the inside because Mm. God works from the inside out. You know, he mentions the heart. I don't even know how many times in the Bible, it's like some couple hundred or so times So our heart posture matters, you know, of how we're handling this, what we're holding onto. And I'm not saying it like it's so easy. I know it's not. Yeah. But there's this reality that we have to be able to address the issues of our heart more than anything first, because that is what transforms our behavior. It transforms how we act and how we show up. And so without that spiritual transformation, we only have that behavior modification. Hmm. And if we only have behavior modification, that's why we feel stuck. That's why we feel overwhelmed. That's why we feel frustrated because no amount of action will change what's going on inside. Mm, I love what you just said. (laughs) No amount of action, no amount of doing, because I think those emotions, they point to these holes that we have. And we have this longing 
to, so H-O-L-E-S, we have this longing to be whole, W-H-O-L-E, right? Yeah. We, we long for wholeness. That's what we were created for. That's, that is how God originally designed us before the fall was to be in perfect wholeness, perfect unity, perfect peace with him. And so when we're having this very earthly experience, this very difficult experience, and we're experiencing the holes, the brokenness, that urge to fix it and fill it and complete it is there. And sometimes we get our identity so based in however it is we're managing those mm-hmm. holes. And we, we believe then sometimes that there's this competency, like, look how diligent I am, or, you know, look at how I'm, I'm caring for this, this need. And not always, sometimes we're, we know we're doing things that are destructive also in, in trying to fill those holes. But very often we are involved in the filling process that really was always meant to be God. It was really always meant to be a connection with him. And in the, that understanding of being though, you know, so we, we went back and talked about how, you know, these things can, can reveal holes in our identity that we're really just called to be then to be loved. That that's who the Bible says that we are is beloved. We are not a human doing, we're a human being, right? But I think sometimes this is hard to grab onto. And this was definitely the case for me, you know, and this is something I'd love to to hear more about, you know, bridging the disconnect because sometimes we can read these things in the word, right? We can Mm -hmm. know, okay, that's what the Bible says. I can intellectually assent. I am a child of God because that's what the Bible says, you know, but sometimes it has a a difficult time going from head to heart. Mm -hmm. How do we get from that space where we might say, okay, yes, that's in the Bible. I read the word. You know, I can see it's in there. How do we get to that place where we can feel like this applies to me? Yeah. Well, I think for me, I like to use the analogy of just the clogged drain and meaning we start with an empty drain and the living water, right? Which is the Holy Spirit flows so freely and we feel him and we experience him and we're so excited. You know, maybe you experience that as being like when you're newly saved, you're so excited And then as time passes, things start to go like down your drain and it's the water is still flowing, but maybe just not as fast. Mm -hmm. And then time keeps going and you're just, you know, things you're not cleaning out your drain. You're not dealing with the things that are falling down there. Then sooner or later, the drain just, it's kind of stops draining anymore. And so now you kind of have that full drain and it's full of all kinds of things that you're dealing with, pain, trauma, issues, hate, anger, bitterness, that you no longer experience the living water. You no longer experience the flow in your life. And for me, it's a great connection of head to heart is that our heart is full of the things and experiences of this world. And we read about God from, cause I talk about this in the book about the left side of our brain and the right side of our brain. And for, you know, you sit in a church service and it's like, renew your mind, listen, read the word, do these things. And we really talk about the other side of our brain that loves connection, that loves the emotion, that loves the relationship piece, the community piece. And so we're always taught to kind of focus on doing the doing and the action with our faith, but we're really talked about just living in the faith, which is that relationship piece, because most of us don't even know how to be in a healthy relationship, 
so how do I be in a healthy relationship with God? And what does that communication look like? And so for me, I, I've just been studying this, like, how do we get from what's in our head to our heart? And, and I have a podcast about that. Actually, I'm just changing it to that from head to heart, because it's so common. We want to experience it in our heart. And I think that for us to begin experiencing it in our heart, it's the response to the word. Like our, when we're reading, what is our response? Because we don't read the Bible for us. We have to remember that. Like, this isn't just like a journal that's written to us. The Bible is a story about Jesus. Yes, it's showing us what he did for us, the freedom that we have, but it's not this personal diary for us. It's the story of Jesus. And so what we do is we try to find ourselves in every story Mm. versus finding Jesus Mm -hmm. and what he did for us to Mm -hmm. free us and to, um, to heal us. And in all of these things that we get lost in that because we're trying to find ourselves in what is written versus finding Jesus. And that's, again, it's, it's how we interpret that. But for me is what is our response to that scripture? What is our response to reading these passages and learning about that? Because again, we have to move our bodies in truth and in love. And so there is this part of us that does have to do the action. Like, you know, relationships require dialogue. It's not monologue. That's an action, you know? And so for me, a lot of it has been journaling. Journaling has been very therapeutic for me of bringing things up and and realizing like, I'll go all over the place in my journal, right? And I'll just express what's going on. But I think when we read the word, that's head knowledge. We're we're learning, Mm -hmm. but our response is the change. And a lot of people are probably like, oh, that sounds so easy. And I know it sounds easy easy. It might be simple, but it's not easy, Yeah. but it really is this kind of response. Like what is my heart response to the scripture? Am I being vulnerable with the Lord right now? Because humility is required for change. And so if you're just going with like, I know I ain't never going to forgive anybody. I don't care what you say. Mm -hmm. That scripture is not going to penetrate your heart. Mm -hmm. And that it just being willing to come to the, you know, the scripture and sitting with the father of just humility. Like, I don't get it right. I know I don't get it right. And that repentance, it's just like, what is my response to the scriptures? It's critical what you just said about scripture being the story about Jesus, that if we are looking for him, even in old Testament stories, if we're looking Mm -hmm. for the, the image of God in the word, then that's where actually I think sometimes, at least for me, that's where that disconnect starts to pull together because as I learn who he is and I know who he is, now I start to feel like, I think I could be vulnerable with you. I think I could let you into this part of my heart. I think I could tell you and you would care, you know? And so rather than it being, I'm reading this because I'm being obedient, you know, it's like, I, I want to know who you are because I want to step into that, you know, Mm -hmm. and, and sometimes, but I I think this is where the journaling is so important or, you know, however it is that you process what you just read. Mm -hmm. It's the slowdown moment though, that is saying, okay, this story just revealed this about God to me. How does that play out in my life? How does what I know about him now from what I just read, how does that plug into where I'm sitting right now? 
Mm-hmm. And that is where rather than finding ourselves in, in the in the story and the narrative, we can pull God out of the narrative and into our everyday life. That is God off of the page and and operating in a relationship with us in the present day. But I think that vulnerability is such a, a big component of that because if I have been raised to not trust you, not trust adults, not trust men, not trust whomever it is that hurt us that would cause us a disconnect from God, then we won't ever want to engage that word deeper for fear of the exposure and the further breakage that that might be resting underneath there. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, I talk about in my book, you know, really the safety with the Lord, like how he's a safe place to land and safety comes with trust. So we trust and then we feel safe with that person. So I think of trust of really just this because forgiveness and trust are not the same thing. Forgiveness is received, but trust is earned. And so trust really, to me, is the repetition of their character. Are they doing what they said they're going to do over and over again? Then I can trust you. And we can trust God because over and over again, he says what he, he does, what he says he's going to do, which then means that he's safe. He is faithful. He's not becoming faithful. He is faithful. He's already faithful. He's the complete of faithful. And I think understanding even those definitions of, okay, like, Trust is repetition of character. Like I can look back on my life and go, okay, here he was in these situations. He's not taking your pain feelings and waiting to manipulate you with them. He's not going to throw them back at you. He's not going to be like, well, you know, I did this for you, Jessica. Why aren't you doing this for me? Like things that people do on this earth. But when we look at God, he's not people. And we can go, okay, I can trust him because I can see the repetition of his character in his word through the Old Testament, New Testament, the story of Jesus, and really understanding like, okay, now I can I can breathe because he's safe and because I, I know I can trust him. Everything you just said is such a big piece of the experience of healing, you know, from so much brokenness because trust is so, so, so important to relationships. And when we grow up in family units or families of origin or situations where the people that we're supposed to be able to trust, we can't learning how to do that is foreign. And we've swung usually in one direction or another where we trust everybody indiscriminately, or we don't trust anyone at all. Mm -hmm. And learning to observe has been critical for me because I was an over-truster, you know? And so learning to observe allows me the distance emotionally from a person to logically determine and discern where to be in relationship to this person. And we're able to do the same thing with God, as you mentioned, and through the word, Mm -hmm. you know, we can see here he was faithful, here he was faithful, here he was faithful. Then we can look back in our own story, even where there was pain and say, God was there. And then this, I I know he was there when this happened. And sometimes I've even had where I can't remember, or I don't know where God was and I'll ask him and a memory will come to mind. You know, he works through us in that way so that we have that ability to observe. And I think that's just the beautiful thing though. you know. And I think a lot of times in Christian circles, it's like, well, you just need to read the word. You just need to trust God. You just need to, you just need to, you just yeah. need to. And God is not like that. He is so relational to say, yeah. taste and see 
check it out, discern, watch, observe, look, but be open-hearted while you're doing it, right? Let me show you who I am. And that is the thing where when we're talking about peace, you know, and, and the renewing of the mind, that is really where the work gets done, where God is working on us. There is work we have to do in the outflow of that and how we take this piece now and stop operating as we have in the past and do something different with it. But the mechanism where he's delivering that to us is for us to just rest into so that whatever the outflow of the work is of the faith, you know, where our faith becomes alive and active in the work that we're doing, then is, is empowered that it's not all up to us. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And I think again, in rest, we, we hear these words all the time in Christian lingo and stuff and rest and trust God and hear God, but they're not just words. And I think so long, we just become kind of deaf to them, you know, like they just become, Oh, words we say, but we don't really do them or apply mm-hmm. them. Mm-hmm. And I was just thinking about this the other day of just really keeping our hearts soft mm. when we think of rest, when we think about hearing from God or trusting, it's not just things we're trying to earn or gain, but there's this place that we, Hey, like, whoo, okay. Like this is truth. Like, you know, he says that his, um, his sheep hear his voice. Like we can hear from God, but there's this learning and identity piece and things that go with it. Yes, absolutely. Jessica, I so appreciate your insights just in how we can, take our emotions and start to actually work through them to come to a greater understanding of who God is and who we are and what we're here for. At the end of every conversation, I ask each guest the same question. And it is, if there was one thing that you would want a single mom to know, what would it be? I would say that you can hold the tension of both of the, maybe the feeling of feeling lonely or the things that you're going through, but also the joy of what is. So often we're, we're trying to choose between one or the other. And I think that you can still have joy in any season. Like that's what he calls us to like being and walking with the Lord. We get to do that. Neither one's off the table, but just make sure again, one's the centerpiece and one's on the table. Mm. And I think again, that's very freeing is that you can hold both at the same time versus Mm. choosing Mm. and knowing. And so there's this confidence that comes in the Lord of like, I know what the Lord has for me in believing that and standing on it, regardless if you see, feel, touch, can hear it or not, Mm. but also knowing that the enemy will come through loneliness and deceit and try to convince you of all these other things. So I think for me, just encouraging you of like, Hey, don't have to choose, go to God with your feelings and know that they can both be on the table. Mm, That is so, so good. Thank you. Jessica, will you do tell listeners about your resources and how they can follow you? Yeah, of course. I have a podcast as well from head to heart. Uh, You can get my book at jessicahuddle.com or Amazon. And I typically like to hang out on Instagram at jessicahuddle. Awesome. And I will include links in the show notes for the listeners. But thank you so much for spending time with me today. Thank you so much for having me. If you enjoyed this episode, I'd also recommend episode 103, The Path Out of Loneliness with Dr. Mark Mayfield. You might also want to listen to episode 79, Are You Really Okay? How Getting Honest with Yourself Unlocks Hope and Wholeness with Deborah Felina. We'd love to invite you to get involved with the Plus One Parents community. You can join us on Facebook or Instagram at plusone.parents. And on Facebook, you can join our private Facebook group, Beloved Collective.
Also, at plusoneparents.org, we are constantly adding new resources related to all of the topics that we cover here on the Christian Single Moms podcast. That's everything from parenting to dating to spiritual and emotional well-being. If you'd like to stay up to date on the new resources as we release them, you can join our mailing list there as well at plusoneparents.org. I'm so grateful that you're a part of this community and that you were able to join me for this episode today. I pray always that you would know that you are seen and you are beloved.